Welcome to The Scrap Show, a production of Recycling Today. Covering the business of scrap metal recycling, we feature conversations about markets, technology, the industry's rich history, and the traditions and ways of doing business that stay reliably familiar. Listen in as guests from across the country and around the world, processors, traders, and industry allies provide insights and observations. The Scrap Show, a conversation between friends in an industry with a rich history and a bright future. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Taylor, Senior Editor with the Recycling Today Media Group, and welcome to The Scrap Show. Uh, as the name states, we're here to talk about scrap recycling. In each episode, we'll visit with one or more people and hear about their scrap journeys and get their views on how the industry is evolving in the 2020s. Today, I'm very happy to welcome the crew from Saffron Metals in Chicago. Saffron Metals is a wire processing firm based in the Windy City. It's a family business and two generations of that family and another a prominent person with the company are all here today to, uh, to talk about the firm. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. And let's start with Steve, Steve Saffron. Hello, I'm Steve Saffron and president sort of of Saffron Metals, sort of retiring and my son Todd is taking over. But I just wanted to correct one thing. You said second generation, it's really my son now is the third generation and Saffron Metals has been in business for over 80 years. And I'll let, uh, I guess my son take over now. All right. Yeah, I'm Todd Saffron, uh, Chief Operating Officer and Vice President. And uh, just to correct my dad, Brian, I know you said you have two generations here today, Stephen. Okay. And uh, that is correct. We are the two generations. Very happy to be here. And let's not forget Al. Hello, I'm Al Barron. I'm Vice President of Saffron Metals. And Steve and I have known each other for decades, many decades. We did business together. We've been friends, I would say, since, oh, 1970, maybe even a little sooner than that. And uh, I've been in the metal business since 1962, I came out of the army in 1962, and I'm going to be 81 years old. And I just love the business, and I just don't want to retire yet. I'm still too young. All right, perfect. <laughs> well, I'm going to start. Uh, I think we'll start with, with Steve. Uh, the question is, how did the Saffron family get its start in the scrap business? Sounds like it was a father or uncle of yours, Steve. What? Why did he go into the scrap business? You know, that's a good question. I never really asked my father. It's my father. Mm -hmm. Living a Paul Saffron. He was living in Germany. And times were tough in Germany. So he quit school when he was around 14 or 15. And went into an apprenticeship program in Hamburg, Germany in the scrap metal business. Hmm. But I never really asked him, how did he go into that end of the business? But so he, he learned the trade in Germany, still started his own business in Germany. And then my parents immigrated from Germany to Chicago in 1938. Uh -huh. Okay. And I'm guessing 
in order to get into the United States, they needed a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And my father had a distant relative in Chicago. Okay. So I'm guessing between that and he knew Chicago was a great industrial city at that time. Right. So I think he chose to come to Chicago and he started as a metal sorter here for Federated Metals. Oh, okay. In East Chicago, Indiana. And Mm. then after doing that for a short period of time, uh, he ended up quitting and starting his own business uh, in Chicago. And he built a successful business. And then I came into it and built it up some more. And that's sort of our history in Chicago. And Steve, when you came into the business, did, was it already wire and cable processing specialty, or is that something you added to the mix? That's something I added about uh, oh, six, seven years later when I oh. I saw that, uh, I guess around 1974. Okay. And uh, at that time, people were were burning the insulation off the copper. <laughs> yeah, That's what most people were doing. And most of them were probably doing it illegal. Mm-hmm. And I thought I saw that this would maybe be a good end, good end of the business to go into and, to, and doing it right by using a wire chopper instead of burning it out in the fields, okay. which is what yeah. people were doing. But, uh, I never wanted to expand the business too much. In other words, um, I was trying to grow the business, but I I wasn't interested in companies like Mm AT&T because you could get the wire from them, but they dictated the terms. You couldn't really make any money. You could Mm -hmm. get the wire. I wanted to rather grow the business and make money what I'm doing and not just have volume. You're right, okay. And and all I can say is, there were a, a number of other people who went into wire chopping, but I would say within 10, 15 years, most of them uh, got out of the business because they were having trouble. The Chinese eventually came into the business. So it was a, it was a bunch of factors there that, uh, you what people weren't able to make money, you know, I mean, I'd rather make money with what I'm doing, instead of just worrying about volume and too many people to me, just think about uh, being busy, but not making the money that they should. Yeah. If you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're losing, if you have no margin, you can't make it up in volume. You're only digging a bigger hole, I guess. Right. And when Al, when you came along, when did you meet Stephen and when did you start working with and for for Steve? Well, I met Steve a long time ago and we talked to each other almost every single day. I started my career at uh, R11 and Sons in 1963. Okay. And I worked there in 1968 and people from Sippy Metals in Chicago. Ah. That's a smelter, right? Or a refinery? Yeah, yeah, right. Right across okay. the, their kitty corner from us. Uh-huh. And, they, they, and they were very close friends with Steve and his, fa- and his father, Paul. And uh, Oscar Pinsoff, who ran the whole show, he asked me to come into the plant and take a look around. And 
he was very impressed on the knowledge I had. I learned everything at lab and things were a lot different back then. Mm. And I mean, there was more brass in high grade material than there is today. Plastics, it seems like plastics has taken over the whole plumbing industry, valves, everything like that. And uh, I started my career at uh, Sippy in 67. And then uh, I left and I had a long discussion with Mr. Steve Saffron. Okay. And it was a pretty good marriage there. And I mean, I'm getting into the chopping business, which I didn't know about at all, but I knew my metals pretty good. And I figured that'd be a good challenge. And we've been friends. I figured, what the heck? This is the place to go for me. And right now, you know, I'm, I'm working uh, three days a week and enjoying myself. I'm 80 years old. And what can I tell you? Everything's been fantastic. Uh, Todd was, it was a privilege to help Todd learn the metal business. And he learned it very fast. I mean, faster than anybody I, I ever had to teach. And then getting back to my, my men, I hired a man from uh, my harbor where I kept my boat in Chicago, Diversity Harbor. His name's Patricio. He's my head man. I heard him a year after I was there. I knew by watching the way he was a busboy, spoke very little English. He weighed 125 pounds. He didn't have a green card or anything. Even his name was wrong, his social. He didn't have the right social security card and everything. But I'm telling you, Brian, you can tell if a person's got it in two, three weeks. I mean, okay. if this kid, he really caught on. He is our right-hand man. I mean, this kid is just fantastic. He's not a kid anymore. He's just going to be 55 <laughs> years old. And he's just, he's one of us. He's the family. And you know, one thing about, I get a lot of compliments at Stafford Metal. The customers come in, they come in our office, they enjoy talking to us. We help them out with things that they're not too knowledgeable about. They love our service. We try to get appointments at a you know, certain time, tell them to come in at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock or whatever. They're in and out. They tell me that they've never had service like this before. And that, that's one reason they come. They get honest recoveries and reports. And you know, believe it or not, some of our customers, a couple of cents less than what they think they can get, they would come to us because they know we're giving them a real honest report. A lot of factors come into um, play regarding freight and, you know, uh, the economics of that, but, you know, we don't uh, discriminate. We'll do business with anybody from any states um, or any country, certainly. And um, small to mid-sized dealers, I would say, is our seems to be one of our niche. You know, we get a lot of material um, from the smaller guys who can't necessarily afford or um, space or, you know, economic wise to, to hold on to material um, for, for that long. So, you know, our niche business has typically been to deal with the small mid-sized dealers and that has expanded into brokerage. Um, certainly we have our share of industrial accounts, um, but, you know, we rely on working with, you know, other 
people, not just in the tri-state area, but across the country who, you know, who have a need for, you know, not just trailer loads, but the 10,000 pounds, 20,000 pounds of material. And we try to, you know, to service them the best we can. And uh, that has seemingly worked well for us, uh, you know, throughout my, you know, short career and, uh, and beyond really. How do you stay in touch with all those customers? As of 2021, is it still telephone? Is it still a lot of in-person? Is it a combination of, of ways to make sure they, they know you're there and you're ready to, to work with them? You know, again, since we've been in business 81 years, um, if our phone line's not working, somebody's concerned. Uh, I think uh, everybody knows we're there. Like. <laughs> every, you know, everybody knows, and that's the most important thing. Our lights are always on at Saffron Metals, which means our money's good. And we're always buying. And I think that helps people in crazy times, whether the market's up to 470, 480, as it is, as of this, you know, um, conversation right now, or if it's right. down to a, uh, the 80 cent market that uh, I'm sure Steve and Al can tell you about, uh, that maybe they are more familiar with than me. We're always there. We're always buying. And, you know, if the market's up and we feel things are changing. Al, myself, you know, and my dad, if he's around, we reach out and we let them know, hey, this is what's going on in the market. We're a little concerned. You might want to widen your spreads or, you know, things are changing for the better. We're going to narrow our spreads. So we don't just wait for them to reach out to us so they can find out what or may, may or may not be happening in scrap today. We try to be forthcoming so we can get them going on any given day or any given week. This is what things are looking like and this is how we can try to help you today. And I think that has served as well to try to, you know, again, empower our customers, our, you know, the people we buy from. So we, you know, they can do the best they can, which will only help us, you know, pay them and, you know, produce material that, you know, will be above board for, you know, for our uh, consumers across the country and across the globe. I want to say something. Please, Al. Steve will agree with me. When we had 60, 70 cent <laughs> copper market, I wish we were working on the percentage uh, uh, of margin that we made a profit on than we are today. Today, today it's a whole new ball game. Yeah. I mean, on a 70 cent copper market, Steve, what do we make? 10, 12, 10, 12 cents a pound or more than that sometimes? So the numbers are higher, but the margin doesn't get higher. Right, and, and the risk is that much greater now too. Mm. And I, we don't know what everybody else does, but I know Todd has been in the market to hedge almost all his material. Okay. We don't try to outguess the market. So I think uh, the market outguesses us. <laughs> if we, if we right, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, I mean, that's been our philosophy. So even in this tremendously up market, it's been very hard still getting orders, everything else. Right. And, and we want to know that when we go to a home at night that we can still sleep. <laughs> yeah. That if something, if something tanks the next morning, well, we, we can still live with it, you know, because, sure. because we've hedged our position instead of just uh, gambling. Because we haven't found too many people who've been able to make a living over all these years by just playing with the market. No. You know, when we hedge copper and the copper market goes up 10, what happens? The places we go, they increase their spread. 
So sometimes on, on, on our hedge right now, it's not fantastic. Thank God we don't have a gigantic inventory, right, Todd? Yes, I, I wish it was less right now, but it, it, you know it's a juggling act, Brian. Uh, you know, in this in this industry, you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring, who's buying, who's selling, and we have you know a customer base, and and you know I think we've created a lot of nice homes for our material. We have a you know a solid reputation for our you know for the products we produce and the quality we have. So I think you know we have a lot of opportunities to move our our metal, you know, in a, in a lot of different varieties, but the reality is, you know, in a, in a market like this, it's really hard to say what tomorrow, what today's going to bring and who's buying and at what price, you know, and how much, on how many pounds. So, you know, we just try to get creative. We hedge, you know, which does is it protects us as much as we can. But uh, the bottom line is, is that we just try to, to remain, you know, very cognizant of what we're doing, what we're buying and who we're buying from so we can feel confident again at night so we can all sleep and live our lives a little bit. Yeah, between hedging and keeping the inventory in and out is a way to just minimize, cut down the risk, I guess, although it's it's still copper and the price right. could change when you're sleeping. Right, no, that's it. We This is a global market. I don't know. You know, Al and Steve can tell you their stories, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it's a wonderful thing that the market is available 24 hours a day, but it's a kiss of death too. And mm -hmm. you got, you know, it, it, I, I have to resist the urge at night to see, oh, before I go to bed, do I really want to know what the market's at right now? Do I want to know if it's up to 480? Do I want to know if it's down to 450? Uh, there's so much out there uh, at any time, you know, you certainly know what's going on and uh, it makes it a little harder sometimes to turn off the scrap and turn on your personal life. But, you know, I think we've always tried to encourage that with our employees, uh, you know, and I encourage that, you know, to my dad and to Al, Al says he takes, you know, he's, he's there three days a week because he's on his boat the rest of the week. And my dad's trying to enjoy his life too. And I'm left to pick up the pieces from this crazy market. But, uh, you know, we all, there's a time for work, there's a time for play, and we're just trying uh, to find that balance um, in what is, you know, a 24-7 uh, business right now. Yeah, yeah. How, what, on the physical processing side, what, um, you know, to what extent would the, would the system that you first put in place to process wire, is any of that left or is any of that recognizable to what you're doing today? Or to what extent has the technology and the automation changed in the last 40, 40 years, 50 years that you've been processing well, wire? Um, it hasn't changed that much as far as I see it. We stayed, I stayed as a middle size uh, wire chopper. Okay. And one of the reasons I did was I want, I want to be more selective on what I'm buying. Yep. Too many of my competitors, they've they have the biggest lines out there, mm -hmm. and they need material to feed the line. Okay. I still wanted to be of the of the philosophy that I own the line and I run the line. I don't want the line to run me. Uh -huh. Too many people, I think, when they have the multi-million dollar operations, they're looking at it. They gotta feed the line. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're not getting good enough material, wire choppers, you can't, you know, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, there's nothing, the machine can separate it, but it can't tell the difference between plated and unplated, anything like that. So it's, it's very important who you buy your material from. Yep. Okay. And so that's, so that's been part of my philosophy is I'd rather buy less material, but better material, making sure. And that's why I think we have a very good product and people love our, our material because they don't have problems. And then on other thing too, Brian, you can almost tell who the customer is just by looking at the material they send us. Okay. Like we know Joe Blow has this box of stuff and, and Sam Sam got this box. No, it's it's really a funny thing. Todd and, and Steve, am I right? Yeah, you know, I'd say when you've been in business as long as first of all, we have I mean, I, you know, I, I'm going on about six, I think I'm mentoring year number 16 and uh, you know, the days are, you know, the days are short. Uh, the weeks go by fast. The material always looks the same. The games customers always want to try to play will never will never stop. But uh, you know, it's like I you know, there's two things. One I can tell you, I go I go in every day and I can promise you I'm gonna learn something new every day, but I can also promise you that nothing has changed in 15 years or 50 years. It's still, you know, a service industry. We still gotta buy right, grade right, process correctly and move a product that makes our company proud and stand behind it. And that's what, you know, separates, I, I like to believe separates us from, you know, our competition is that we stand behind everything we make, everything we buy, everything we sell, and, uh, and we're proud of it. And I think our employees are very proud of it. There's nothing better than like Al said, you know, when you get a compliment on your loading or unloading process, that feels good for the employees when, when the office manager is given a compliment, that feels good. You know, we've all been in business long enough. You got to take the compliments when you can and and uh, and pat yourself on the back every once in a while. And I think Steve and Al have done a fantastic job in getting me to a point where I recognize that whatever we're doing, it's, we got to be the best at it. And whether or not we are as long as you put your best foot forward, I think, you know, you can say at the end of the day, we did as the best we can. And, you know, for 81 years, I think we've been doing a pretty darn good job of that. All right. well, Al made a mention of this briefly. And I'll, I'll, so Steve and Al, I think initially this question might be directed at you, but when you started processing wire in the seventies, you were competing with some other wire processors in the Midwest, other parts of the country. But by the mid to late 90s, you started competing with buyers from China that wanted to buy all the bailed wire and cable they could find. How did that change your business? And as of 2021, you know, have things come full circle a little bit? Is there more material staying home? Or, you know, tell me about the last 20 years and how China <laughs> either changed or did not change your business. Well, I'll speak for the, uh, for the beginning <laughs> times. Okay. I mean, Again, by not overexpanding my, uh, our operations, mm -hmm. we were able to weather the storm with the Chinese. I mean, it was okay. very tough to compete against them, 
when virtually you could uh, you could sell to China there. They didn't ha even have to use a machine. They they had cheap enough labor. They could clean it by hand. You know. Right. Right. And and compete against you because the freight factor uh, wasn't wasn't uh, that was something that was to me uh, an anomaly or something like that. That freight was actually it was cheaper to ship to China almost than it was to ship to California mm -hmm. because they needed containers over there in China to ship back here. Yes. So they were charging such cheap freight rates actually to get to China. So right. th these were part of the things we were competing against. And so again, by staying you know smaller so we could still be more selective, it was easier weathering the storm where some of the large competitors, they were having trouble getting material and a number of them ended up closing, closing that part of the operation because okay. they, they couldn't compete against China. Yeah. You know, what I think is funny is, you know, we're, you know, as my father, Steve is referring to us, you know, a mid-sized company by, you know, definition, right. but, you know, the reality is, is when, you know, if I got a checkout standing from, you know, one of these big conglomerates, what do I got to do? I got to call them. I got to talk to three different departments. I got to wait for three signatures of approval before I can get a check. Come to Saverin Metals. We'll sign your check. It takes one signature and you're out the door. Right. You know, there's something said to keeping it simple and easy. You know, you go to China and you go overseas. I think it has come full circle because the reality of it is, okay, I'm going to sell a load, a container to China. What needs to be on that container? 40,000 pounds. Well, I only got 20. Well, you know what? Give us 20,000 of something else. We'll take it. And I think that's what happened is they took it and they took it and they took everything there was. And now they're at a point where they're realizing, you know what? We want better copper. We don't want all the other stuff you got. I think that's what we've been doing, Steve and Al and myself, for the last umpteen years is picking and choosing saying you know what we don't want everything we want what's best for the environment we want best for our company and what's going to be the best end result for our customers and uh i think you know so now as people or you know china has changed their environmental regulations they're saying you know what we only want one or you know two items we need you know good good material good high quality stuff free of you know all this contamination and i think we are here at sapper metals have been saying what's contamination we only buy the good stuff that's what we want that's what we need what happened right. and what happens when you ship to china and they downgrade you 10 20 percent how do you uh -huh. get it back mm -hmm. okay hey at Saffron, if we have a problem we'll send pictures on, to them on the computer and we'll give it back if they want it back and we'll have them replace it, especially on a market, you know, like today, it's 470 at close today. Hey, in two weeks, they'll come back. It's five dollars. <laughs> you guys are going to give it back to you. <laughs> right. Right. OK. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the 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 family dynamic so but al you're not maybe literally family but you're gonna you're gonna count on this one as the as part of the older generation 
how did Todd, why did you have an interest in staying in the scrap business, being in the scrap business? And, you know, Steve and Al, how did you help cultivate Todd's interest in the scrap business or, you know, convince him that, you know, this is, it's a good place to be. So I'll, I'll speak to that first. So thankfully I've known, you know, Al's last name might be Baron, but you know, he's always been uncle Al uh, since okay. I grew up. So um, Al's family, and, um, you know, I think fortunately Al or my father and especially my father, they never, they never pushed me into, to anything. Um, you know, my dad, my dad's, you know, my parents dream was for me to get an education and do what I love. And, you know, look, what, what does a 21 year old kid know about what he loves and wants to do for the rest of his life? I started out um, as a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade, uh, okay. well, really as a runner and a broker's assistant, I, you know, I was always fascinated by the stock market, um, and then eventually commodities when I went to the Board of Trade, and um, you know, I got into that after I graduated uh, from the University of Arizona, and I learned real fast um, that what what's happening now that everything was becoming a global market and. What were the trading floors of the Chicago Board of Trade or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange? Those just became uh, vacant spaces and gave way to computers and electronic mm. trading. And um, and uh, you know the gentlemen and the and the individuals that I got uh, that I was fortunate to work with for a few years at the Chicago Board of Trade told me real fast, you know, this is a changing industry, and I don't I think we're going to be dinosaurs. And you know I had talked about. You know, well, there's this family business, but who knows? Oh, scrap metal, copper—that's phenomenal. You should be checking that out. <laughs> and uh, and you know, fortunately, um, Stephen Al welcomed me uh, with open arms, but you know, and but reluctant arms. You know, I, I'm still a young young kid trying to to understand uh, my way in this in this world, literally. And I can tell you honestly. From the first day I was there, I don't care that my last name was Saffron. It, it might have been, it might as well have been nobody because that's what I was treated like for the first few years. And uh, I think that was what I needed to get not only the respect of, you know, if I was to one day have a position in management where, you know, if I'm going to be able to talk to these people and, and, and give my honest opinion, they've got to get, I've got to get respect from them. And uh, that's, you know, when I was younger, Al had me shoveling stone. My father had me cleaning toilets. If I was a minute late, I was uh, doc pay from my minimum wage starting. And I said to myself, is this worth it? And I learned real fast, this is, is worth it. And the reason they're doing this to me is not, you know, uh, to prove a point, but to get me to understand what it takes so hopefully one day be somebody that can make the decisions that are going to change the course of time for Saffron Metals. And it was that, you know, uh, tutelage that helped me, I think, gain some respect for my employees and gain an education that nothing's going to be handed to me. I have to earn it. And I have to, you know, they talk about generational businesses and to get from a second generation to a third generation doesn't happen very often. And I only think we have, I've been able to make it because of the hard line Al and my father, Steve took 
to make sure that I actually knew what I was doing and that I could prove that I, you know, knew what I was doing because that's the only way you're going to get ahead is if you've done everything yourself. I'm going to ask Al the next question before I get to, to Steve, but Al, whether it's Todd or Patricio or somewhere else, where do you start? What are the two or three things a new employee needs to know about, you know, the, the warehouse, the facility and how it all works? Where do you start? Okay. First of all, you, you have to sit down with the guy and explain to him, please, if there's anything that you want to know, you want to, let's do it over again. Mm -hmm. Come to us with any problems, any questions you have. And another thing I want to say, I'm more of a gambler than Todd and Steve are. Now, but I've lost a lot of money to Todd lately. And I <laughs> kind of peed off. And all of my $5, $10 bills are up on a wall. And I don't want to tell you what's written on them that I wrote on those. <laughs> we have to keep it G-rated, huh? <laughs> hey, but the whole, the whole thing is, you got to treat these people like they're family. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You got to, hey, when they have a problem, you want to settle it with them if you can. Like right now, our head guy, his wife's having an operation on her knee and she's, it's going to be a tough one. He's going to be off for a week or so. He needs anything. He's got it from us. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. hey, being nice, being nice is, the best thing there is in this business. And let me yeah. tell you something. There are very few companies, and especially all the big ones that I've talked to, even the small ones, they're having a, a hard time keeping help today. Okay. And it's and, and you know, it's it's even getting worse. And, and it's not the money anymore. It's not the money. Baby, every guy I talk to, this guy doesn't get along with that guy, that guy doesn't get along with this guy. Mm -hmm. And camaraderie is so important in this business. It's, it's okay. really important. How is, that was my question. And Stephen, this could also be for you or Todd. But, you know, Patricio, how many years ago did you hire Patricio? And recruit 37 him from, years ago. So 37 <laughs> years later, are you still finding good people that you can bring into the company? Or is it is it more difficult? We don't have to bring any good people because we got them all. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, finding good people help today is, is not easy and you can't and you can't uh, experience is the number one thing that's the hardest thing to find and that is what we have been um you know i would say gifted with but but it's it's also a product of the environment that we've created we're blessed that we have the workers we have and that they want to continue to work with us you yep. know whether it's the company profit sharing plan the fact that yes we will do anything i mean i can promise you that when our uh head man's uh, wife has surgery tomorrow there will be flowers waiting at the door uh for the, for his wife when she gets home and we're not doing that uh to be nice we're doing that because that's what you do for family and that's what we can try to continue to do you know uh year in and year out i mean I, I, we, we get a little kick out of it when they tell us when we're renewing our health insurance every year. Oh, you pay a hundred percent of your employees health. You know, less, I don't know any other companies that do that. Are you sure you want to do that? We want to do that because that's what makes the difference. That's what gives you that edge. When we're identifying metal, it helps that our head guy has 37 years of experience. It helps that his second in command has over 20 years experience. And, and so on down the line, you know, we, 
we're blessed we brought in a director of operations, Danny Sternberg, who's been with us for three years to try to get me a little young blood with Alan, Steve, sort of, you know, they're not out on the pastures yet, but they're close. And, um, you know, Danny has come in um, as an, a guy to help with operations and he's never seen, at least with what he tells me, the kind of relationships that we have with our employees. And, you know, it goes from the guy at the top to the guy at the bottom. Um, the, the loyalty is real and it shows not just day-to-day -day experience, but it shows in the products that we make. You know, that's what it goes down to is if you can, you take care of somebody and you help them along, they're gonna help you just as much. And, you know, it takes, we're not doing anything that's, you know, unheard of, but you treat somebody the way you wanna be treated. And I think it comes back tenfold. And that is what my father and Al have instilled in me. And I try to instill in Danny. And I think that's what now our employees are instilling in any of our new hires, but we try to avoid turnover because if you have a job at Saffron Metals, you have a job for life. You know, another thing, our four-truck drivers can take a shot glass, a one-ounce shot glass, <laughs> go up 15 feet, 15 feet high, put it on a skid, and that's still a drop out of it. And I mean, most of our guys are like that. It's just a pleasure. It's like, But that's not a test, Brian. Well, I don't know. I was going to come to Chicago and see if he could do that with a shot of wild turkey, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll drink that shot if he can get <laughs> it up there. <laughs> well, I, I mentioned... I mentioned before that Saffron Metals has never laid a worker off. Uh -huh. Yes. We are, we run a lean mean operation. So, and they have helped me over all these years make a good living. So I've always looked at it that we're going to do whatever we have to do, even in the slow times to keep our employees you know, uh, help them so they still have a job and they can still count on income coming in. And it's worked over all the years. And that's why we have such a loyal workforce. So, you know, I mean, how many people can say, can say here with all their blue collar workers, that our average workers with us, I don't know, at least 20, 25 years now. Wow, that's impressive, yeah. Hey, uh, rare. another thing, you, you know, you take guys like Patricio, he's, he's one of our buyers now. Uh -huh, yes, okay, believe yeah. He's one of our buyers now. He's got yeah, so Brian, think about that for a second. So, you know, Al brought uh, Patricio in from a yacht club, didn't speak a word of English and now, you know, didn't know anything about metals. And now here he is running our entire plants and buying. I mean, what a, what an American dream. It, I, I still pinch myself. It, it's a great story. And I, I think we could have five others just like that. He has two kids in the, that have graduated in college, college now, yes. too. That's terrific. The, the kid who graduated college is sitting next to you, Steve. Twenty, I think Todd said he's been with you 16 years. So 20 years ago, was there some doubt? Did you think, well, maybe Todd <laughs> will want to do this? Maybe he won't. And are you satisfied with, with how it's all worked out? Okay, let me go back then with how I started out. Okay. My father never pushed me into the business. Mm -hmm. I, I, was a, I was an auditor first 
with Canteen Corporation, a vending machine company. Oh, okay. Uh, that's when my degree was in accounting, major in business administration. I got tired of traveling across the country doing that. So I approached my father and I went to work for my father. Now working for my father was, uh, he gave me all the rope. You know, he said, <laughs> anybody in decision-making is gonna make some mistakes. Okay. So you're gonna make mistakes, but you better learn from your mistakes and don't make the same mistake twice. And it was also my idea to go into wire chopping. I approached my father about that. And because this was gonna be by far our biggest equipment purchase. And so he said, do you know what you're doing? And I said, I've done enough research. I think I know what I'm doing. So he went along with me on that. Mm -hmm. So my father let me do a lot of different things to make the business successful. Okay. And uh, I, to me, a, a job is something we do too many years. If you're going to do, if you're going to work, you might as well enjoy doing what you're doing. Right. So I didn't push Todd into the business, but he approached me one time. So I said, okay, so you got to do all these different things because to me, if you're going to be a boss, how do you tell somebody what to do if you don't have any experience in that field at all? Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this is OJP. This is something I'm a job training. Uh -huh, okay. So then it was really up to Todd, you know, here we gave him all the room. You gotta, you gotta learn all these things, but if you're gonna be successful, then you gotta be willing to take all these risks too. And you know, you gotta do enough stuff right. I mean, I tell okay. you, Brian, if anybody wants, you know, is looking for the best way uh, to get in the business, I think old school versus new school. That's what I, I, I like to consider myself new school. I'm relatively new. You, 15, 16 years, years in the scrap business. Some, versus, versus Stephen Al, who, you know, combined, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, are almost as old as this country. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, but uh, what that does, I mean, the stories I've heard, the experiences I've, I've had, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, you know, uh, stroke their ego or anything. I'm giving you the reality, you know, uh, as younger people, Generation X, and, and, and now these millennials, you know, we all have one way we think we know to do things. And I can promise you, the older generation, they had another way of doing it. And I've, I've taken what I knew, you know, from my experiences, and I've combined that with what Steve and Al knew and their experiences. And I think you put it together and you come up with our saffron metals 2.0 what we have right now which i really think is a uh, a beautiful hybrid of old and new school oh okay. to say one more thing then is i told todd you learn everything that yeah. al and i learned how we did it our way has worked but if you have a better way after you've seen our way of doing it okay i am all ears you know, you know, it's very easy to come in and say, well, why don't you just do that? You know, you said, well, maybe we should, but you, 
You know, Alan, Steve said, do it my, do it our way first and master it. Master it. That's the key. Don't just come in trying to be the problem solver. Understand why we do the things the way we do it. Right. And then if you think you can build upon it, make it better, sky's the limits. <laughs> Terrific. Terrific. We're getting close, unfortunately, to the end of kind of our allotted time. Um, this conversation has been fun and has gone pretty quickly, but I want to sneak in a little bit, a few minutes about Chicago that you don't know. any. I mean, the business has always been in Chicago. How, how would you rate Chicago as a place to do business? Is it still, you know, freight and transportation and, you know, trying to buy from the rest of the country? How has Chicago treated you? Chicago has treated us very well, but it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, the manufacturing plants here, mm -hmm. many of them are old. They've all moved to Southeast, Southwest. Okay. You also had from the, from the North, you had unions. So a lot of places wanted to go to places where the unions aren't so strong. Right. So your manufacturing, your heavy manufacturing has, you know, a greater percent has left, you know. Not just probably Chicago, Chicago. but the United Well, the, the northern part of the, of the states, you know, anything mm -hmm. here in the Chicago, Midwest area and the East Coast area, you know, that. So it's not a growing area for scrap metal. Okay. I, I look at it, you know, and part of my thing is, we have the we have the pie, and the pie is not getting any bigger. Oh, okay. And so anybody who's fighting for that piece of the pie, they're getting it by taking it away from somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's not an expanding. It's not an expanding industry here right. in especially in the Midwest. So I'm saying, and Chicago and Illinois is losing population. It's one of the few states. That's losing population. Yeah. So I'm saying uh, it's it's going to be for uh, tougher times as far as I look at it. And again, survival of the fittest. I agree. 100%. Okay. Um, maybe the last thing to mention is is the price of copper. We've mentioned it. It's, it's, it's a historic high. How does that affect the way you do business? What are the pros and cons of four and a half dollar copper? <laughs> I tell you, Brian, I, I, I don't see many pros these days, four and a half dollar <laughs> copper. I mean, you know, uh, I have the privilege of talking with some wonder, wonderful customers, vendors, consumers. Nobody likes this price. Uh, I, I'm curious when the and very excited when this podcast comes out to see where the copper is, but uh, yeah. you know, on that day, but it's an emotional roller coaster. The emotions we can handle, but you know, what makes it tough in this, you know, credit, you know, every people have the uh, credit insurance on their loads. Well, you know, a load that costs, you know, a hundred thousand uh, dollars two months ago now costs uh, close to $200,000. Mm -hmm. It makes the credit terms difficult. Freight is okay. expensive. Uh, the cost of carrying inventory or hedging in our case, if, if the market keeps going up and you're hedging, what do you have? You have margin calls. It makes it you know, extremely um, difficult for any size industry um, 
or business, uh, you know, to function when all of a sudden you have uh, a commodity that is seemingly doubled in price uh, in the last, you know, 18 months or so. Um, doesn't mean, look, that you, that doesn't mean there's not, you know, benefits that come with it too. There's certainly people that have come out on the, out of the woodwork that have been holding on to their metal uh, since it was 80 cents and when they didn't want to sell to Al and my father in the sixties and seventies, now they're getting a, a great price now here in the, uh, in the, in the, in 2020, I had a customer, an electrician uh, who had been saving um, all his wire with his uh, father for the last 30 years. They finally decided to offshoot it uh, in this <laughs> higher market here. You get things like that. And that I get a kick out of uh, getting to face somebody who had been sitting on metal 30 for years. 20 or 30 amazing. years. That's fun <laughs> for me. But I think, you know, it is challenging. Al will tell you, my dad will tell you, and I will tell you, it's not easy when you don't know what copper is going to be from one day to the next. I mean, we can handle fluctuation, but it, it's, it's a challenging time for everybody right now. And uh, I think anybody trading copper right now, buying copper uh, from one minute to the next, uh, it, it's, it's a difficult ride. And especially at $4.50 or $4.70, it makes for expensive mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we try not to make any of them. All right. Well, gentlemen, it has been a pleasure, but our, 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 I think our time has to come to an end for now. But uh, I think there's more to talk about. So I hope, uh, I hope uh, the Scrap Show podcast keep coming along and we record more and more of these. I would love to do a chapter two. But uh, Ryan, I, I we, think for, we, will, we would yes, love please. to do a chapter two and three. I can tell you we're 81 years here. I hope we're 162 the next time. Uh, um, when, when, when your uh, great-great-grandson is uh, interviewing us for uh, the next <laughs> show, um, we're going to be here for a long time regardless of this market. Bring on $2 copper, bring on $10 copper. We're going to find a way. We want to be there, be here to continue to service everyone's needs, and we want our scrap to remain an important part of what grows this country and what grows this, uh, this world. I'm going to make Todd a good bet right now. 50 bucks says copper goes under four and a quarter before it hits five dollars. Okay. <laughs> All, All right, five. there we go. That's oh, uh, Ryan, you yeah, want, Ryan, what do money. you want? You want in on that bet with me? What do you, you think? Know, yeah, I want my I'm shot class to lose the money on the forklift. I'll, I'll put All that right. against the bet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. My guests today have been Al Barron, Steve Saffron, and Todd Saffron of Saffron Metals. If you don't know about them, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll have a link to their website on our uh, our podcast link. But it's a uh, Saffron Metals, Chicago Lloyd. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Take Thank care. Thank you, Brian. We Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks, bye -bye, Brian. Everyone. Take bye -bye. care. Bye, guys. Bye.